As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by David Bates, a Brit living in the US who is one of the hosts of the absolutely fantastic Pints with Jack podcast. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm really excited to be on here. This is great. I really want to be drinking beer right now because of the name of your podcast, but I feel like it would be grossly inappropriate for you because it's 10 a.m. where you are, isn't it? 4 p.m., you sort of just about get away with it. Yeah, it's it's not even five o'clock in England, so I I don't think I can quite justify it. Although I I would have been willing to suffer for my art if you had really insisted upon it. Perhaps the next one that we we record together, we'll just, you know, we'll we'll pretend that it's later than it is. Um, I'm I'm desperate to hear about Pints with Jack, your brilliant podcast and how it started and all of that. But before we do that, I'd love to just go even sort of further back in your story. Like, where did your journey with C.S. Lewis begin? Where did you first encounter C.S. Lewis? Mm. Well, like most people, it began with a wardrobe. My mother read to me The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the rest of the Chronicles of Narnia. And she would particularly do it at bath time because I was a little boy. And as we all know, little boys dissolve in soap and water. So I would literally get into the bath and then try and get back out declaring that I was done. So my mother would read the Chronicles of Narnia to me in the bath to to keep me there because I, I knew I was at least getting a story. And I absolutely loved Narnia as a kid. It was it's the experience I think a lot of people can can identify with, just wanting to go to Narnia more than anything else in the world. And e- even as a little child, I had a push-along uh, plastic lion toy uh, who was immediately called Aslan. And uh, <laughs> he, he actually had a, a little a little receptacle inside, a little, a little area where you could put things. And so whenever anything important went missing in our household, y- it was a good idea to, to go and check Aslan because uh, <laughs> little David would usually t- put in there keys, money, you know, really important stuff. Um, but I, I, yeah, I fell in love with Narnia a- as a child and... My mother took me to go and see some stage adaptations in Oxford of, uh, I think I saw The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, The Magician's Nephew, maybe one more. Um, but those are the ones I'm absolutely certain of. And my mum my always loves telling the story of what it was like taking me to see Narnia on stage. 
she says that you know, there were lots of kids, obviously, in the audience of the performances, and she said it was just bedlam and it was noise, and they were they, they, they were they were they were just fooling around. And she said, "But you, you were absolutely transfixed, particularly whenever Aslan came on well. to, onto the stage, just at the edge of your seat." And um, and, and that captivation lasted all throughout my childhood, and I'm old enough to remember when the BBC TV adaptations were being broadcast. Oh, yeah live on tv and i got all of my friends together and uh, and we we always made an event of it uh, but i think the last time i can remember reading narnia i was probably about 10 years old and i didn't really touch him again until after university because there my faith really came alive and so in my 20s i rediscovered c.s lewis I was babysitting for a family at church. They were they were running a, a program at our church, and they asked me to babysit their kids, uh, which is kind of crazy because I was just a guy in his 20s. I didn't have any younger siblings. I had no idea how you look after children. Um, so I just did what my mother did. I just used bribery. <laughs> so the deal was that if they put on their pajamas and had their teeth brushed, then they would get books, and specifically The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with voices they were very insistent that i had to do proper voices with for the characters and so over the course of a couple of months while the course was going i got to reread the lion the witch and the wardrobe and i fell in love with it all over again and so when the babysitting was done i bought a new set of the chronicles of narnia and reread them in the space of about a week and since i was now fully involved with church uh, people there pointed me to Lewis's other works. And so that was how I found out that, oh, he also wrote Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters and The Problem of Pain. Well, David, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your reaction to some of those other works. But I guess giving us a little bit of context is perhaps helpful. Would you say just a little bit about how you came to faith? You said that university, the sort of post-university experience was obviously quite significant in terms mm. of your journey of faith. Would you just sort of Give us a little bit, paint us a little bit of a picture from, I guess, you know, as a child to, to where you are now. What have been some of those key moments on your journey? Sure. Well, my dad was pretty much a non-practicing Anglican, but my mum was a very serious Catholic and she took us to mass every week. And we went to a very vibrant parish. And uh, in our family, we prayed before going to bed and before meals. And my mum, she really put a lot of effort into my religious formation. You know, we would uh, do special things during the different liturgical seasons of Lent and Advent. And she also took me to any Christian groups that she could find. Um, in England, there are only so many Christians. And so I was exposed to a bunch of different denominations um, as a result of it. But in our parish, my mom and sister, they ran children's liturgy. So it's so for people that aren't familiar, it's basically children's ministry. Usually during the first part of the service, when we're reading scripture, the kids go away and they do the same thing, but at their level. So my mum and sister ran that, and I then soon became an altar server. And that was something I carried on all until I graduated university. But all this sort of meant was that I, I definitely had a very special relationship with God as a child. I had you know, some questioning during my teenage years, because everybody does. And my mum was really great. She just said, just keep asking questions. And I happened to also be in the vicinity of some very smart people. My, uh, my, my school was a, a Benedictine monastery, and some of the monks there were absolutely brilliant. And so I could always go and get answers when I was looking for them. But there was definitely, there was definitely a shift that happened at university. I was invited to be part of this prayer group. I didn't really want to go, to be honest, but I thought I probably should. <laughs> Catholic guilt is real. Uh, 
<laughs> but it was it, it was it was in these prayer meetings that something very significant happened to me. What would happen is one of the missionaries from this group called Verbum Day. Their their big things were evangelism and prayer with scripture, and they would offer a very short reflection, five ten minutes maybe, on a particular subject, and then we would all spend time uh, in silence, probably just about five minutes. Uh, and we were given a, a sheet of A4 with different scripture passages related to the topic at hand. And it was in one of those meetings that I read a passage which I intellectually knew. But that night, it sort of struck me like a thunderbolt. And it's from the start of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah says, the Lord, the word the Lord came to me and said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, I set you apart, I appointed you as prophet to the nations. And it was like the Holy Spirit just went over that with a highlighter and something changed inside me. It was like a homing beacon turning on. And a little bit after that, I would come across St. Augustine and his famous uh, opening, uh, opening quotation in the Confessions where he speaks about, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts wander restless until we rest in you. And then my faith, it, it really became very much my own. Uh, and and, and, the, and the, the desire was turned up to 11. And it was actually excellent preparation for encountering Lewis later, because it was a very similar experience to Lewis's searching of joy and ultimately for his argument from desire. Well, let's talk a little bit about Lewis, because as you say, you sort of first came into contact with him with the Chronicles. That then led you to find some of his other works. What was your experience of finding some of Lewis's other works? And I guess were there particular um, passages or books that really resonated with you? The first one I read was Mere Christianity. Uh, one of my friends had said that he thought it was the best presentation of Christianity there was out there. And I was also quite impressed. I was also just very impressed as to its depth. It wasn't just simplistic, particularly by the time you get to book four and you're wrestling with Trinitarian theology and what it means for uh, God to share his life with you and and that transformation uh, that, that, that comes with it. Um, yeah, I was just struck by the things I'm always struck by whenever I read Lewis. It, it's clarity, uh, it, it's depth, it's it's challenge to live differently, to devote yourself to God more fully. Um, and I also read the, the you know some of his tougher works, things like the Problem of Pain and Miracles, where he makes you do a little bit more work. But just... much like Lewis, I'm generally left cold with a lot of devotional material. But if you give me something hard to wrestle with and, you know, a book and a pencil, and I get to roll up my sleeves and really try and wrestle with some stuff. I, I, f I find my spirit fed in a very different way. Um, so, you know, men, uh, the, the, the intellectual uh, formation that I've had since then has largely been from Lewis. But also Lewis emphasized the imagination. He described the uh, uh, imagination as the organ of meaning. And so I got to read some of his other nonfiction. I got to read The Great Divorce, The Screwtape Letters, um, Till We Have Faces, and and noticed that, that, that there was this other part of me that, that wanted to be fed and that itself needed, needed conversion. And what are some of the things in Lewis's work that really strike you, that resonate with you, that perhaps you don't see in other authors? Or, or you see to a greater extent with Lewis. <laughs> Let's well, not be <laughs> dismissing <yeah>. the whole <laughs> Christian theology tradition. Well, the wonderful thing about Lewis is that he had read it all. He had read everything that had gone before. This was a man steeped in, in the classics. And so you, you have ancient Christian faith and 
ancient ideas that have been um, prayed over and thought over by the church for hundreds of years, recommunicated and re-expressed for another generation. And he regarded himself as a translator. And he actually said that if anybody graduated from seminary, there should actually be a pass-fail class, uh, that they need to take some high theology and translate it into layman speech. Um, but I, I, the number of themes in Lewis that I found impactful is, is endless. But one that particularly jumps out at me is this idea of heavenly and hellish creatures. Uh, it comes across in The Great Divorce, uh, The Weight of Glory. And it's the idea that the choices that we make every day, the small, seemingly insignificant choices, they, they, they uh, accrue with interest. It's compound interest. The, the small decisions that we make, they help form our, either our virtue or our vice. That every day in these, in these decisions, in these choices, we are forming ourselves to be a little bit more heavenly or a little bit more hellish. And he says one day we're going to be either a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. And our, our job is to help those around us become more heavenly and to do the same ourselves. Now, let's talk about your wonderful podcast, Pints with Jack. Where did it come from? Love the name, by the way. Where did the name come from? Where did the concept come from? How did you start it? Well, I moved to the United States about 15 years ago. I just wanted an adventure. All of my other friends were getting mortgages and doing very grown-up things. I didn't feel quite ready for that, but I, I thought I should probably do something. And so I thought I would uh, move abroad for a few years and work. Uh, although whenever Americans ask me what I'm doing here, I describe myself as a cultural missionary, uh, teach, <laughs> teaching them how to brew a pop, proper pot of tea for a start. But uh, yeah, it, it was about 2017, I met a guy called Matt Bush at a party. And... As I want to do at parties, I was talking about C.S. Lewis. And we became instant friends. Lewis says in The Four Loves that the typical expression of opening friendship is something like, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. Well, we sort of had that moment. And I'd been saying for a while that I had wanted to be a little bit more systematic in reading Lewis. I'd enjoyed everything I'd read, but I always felt that there was more to be gleaned. There was that You could go deeper if I set aside the time and did it with other people. And so we agreed that it would be fun just to do that, even if it was just the two of us. Get a pint, get a coffee, uh, and work through one of his books. And that's what we agreed to do. And I also announced on Facebook, hey, we're going to be at this coffee shop if anyone wants to come and join us. We're going to be reading through Mere Christianity. And a local book club just sort of happened. And so we ended up reading through a whole bunch of Lewis's works. But what quickly happened was, well, two things. One, we had people from outside of San Diego, which is where I was living at the time, ask if they could join us virtually. Could we Skype them mm. in? And that seemed like, like a logistical nightmare. Horrible. No, didn't want to do that. And this and is way also, before COVID when like online was, you know, <laughs> became easier and <laughs> much more exactly. people knew. <laughs> exactly. It was, a di it was a different world. Uh, but the other thing was, is I felt like we were moving through mere Christianity too quickly. So we got through it in four sessions. One session per book and so i suggested to matt do you want to think maybe about doing this as a podcast and so that way people outside of san diego they can virtually participate but also we can go a little bit more slowly do it chapter by chapter rather than book by book and so that's what we started and we initially called it the eagle and child after the pub where lewis would meet with his friends 
and we ended up doing a first season and it was we didn't really know what we were doing and we were doing it on the cheap i have a picture of us with microphones balanced on an ironing board propped up by a few books uh so we, we weren't even sure if we were going to be doing it beyond mere christianity but towards the end we decided let's make this a regular thing and so that's when we bought a domain name and we actually ended up changing the name of the podcast as we were doing that uh to pints with jack and it's called pints because lewis enjoyed a pint at the eagle and child and jack because this was his name from childhood effectively and it was what his friends called him and so we regarded ourselves as his friends or at least we would have been we would have tried very hard if we had known him and so we are pints with jack trying to do what the inklings did and that's why we also post on tuesdays and thursdays because on Tuesdays, the Inklings would typically gather in the Eagle and Child and uh, have some banter and chat about university gossip. And then on Thursdays, do deep dives with their own texts and read them to one another uh, over a big pot of tea. And so we try and mimic all of that uh, <laughs> in a podcast. <laughs> and then in 2020, we added a new co-host, Andrew Lasso. And uh, he actually entered to seminary and he's now a priest in the Episcopal Church. So also like the Inklings, we now have a, a representation from a number of different Christian traditions. And on the show, we've discussed works of C.S. Lewis, mostly chapter by chapter. And we've gone through mere Christianity, the great divorce till we have faces, the four loves. And we just finished out of the silent planet, which has been great because you guys have been talking about that recently. Yes, uh, we have. <laughs> And in addition to that, we've interviewed a bunch of scholars and enthusiasts, probably about 130, and we've got about 400 wow. episodes in total. Wow. Now, you were obviously a big C.S. Lewis fan before you started the podcast, but do you think mm -hmm. there are any surprising things or particularly interesting things that you maybe didn't anticipate learning that you've learned along the way? Because as you say, you've interviewed people right across the board <laughs> on lots of different things. There must have been some things where you thought, oh my goodness, I did not know this about Lewis. How interesting, how surprising, how confusing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I hadn't realized until I started the podcast that he was Irish. Like most people, I assumed he was English. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, he was Irish and his Irish identity was very important to him. Prior to starting the podcast, I hadn't actually finished reading Surprised by Joy. Because in Surprised by Joy, he says, uh, if what I've said thus far doesn't interest you, you should just put this book down. It hadn't been interesting to me, so I put it down. Uh, so I never finished Surprised by Joy until I started the podcast. But when I did, I discovered that, oh, he actually wasn't always a Christian and that he grappled with both theism and Christianity. Um, and I, I, one of the things I, I, I discovered from interviewing biographers was I always knew he liked to smoke, but I had no idea how much. Uh, mm. One biography says that he smoked 60 cigarettes a day. And Lewis was apparently terrible at mathematics, but I'm a little bit better. And so I, I did, did it on the back of a napkin and realized that he spent about a third of his waking life smoking, uh, which is... Disgusting, but also kind of impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and quite a lot of his wage, presumably, as well. Yes, I mean, I think it was certainly cheaper than it was today. But yes, I, th I think a, a good lot of his paycheck went to tobacco. Um, but you mentioned some of the scholars that we've had on. One of them that we've had on multiple times is Dr. Diana Glyer. And a lot of her work is focused around the Inklings as a whole and uh, their collaboration and seeing Lewis's circle of friends has been very enlightening to me to see that he isn't just this lone genius. He is a genius, but that he was surrounded by all of these people who were challenging him and encouraging him and this community that produced all of this amazing literature and they helped shape each other's thought. And that this extends well beyond their, the usual boundaries. 
and you know I'm Catholic and Lewis was an Anglican and I've discovered that actually everybody loves him apparently I mean uh, Pope John Paul II Pope Benedict XVI they're very familiar with his work and Benedict has a wonderful lecture on um, on relativism where where he quotes Lewis a bit and uh, Today, a lot of people are going through the Bible in a year and the Catechism in a year with Father Mike Schmitz. And honestly, it's like at least once a week he quotes Lewis. And we actually even had <laughs> uh, an Ecumenism Month on the show where I interviewed uh, an Eastern Orthodox professor, a Mormon missionary, a Baptist. It, it just seems across the board. We even have uh, a guy who's an Orthodox Jew, not a Christian, still loves Lewis. <laughs> uh, and his, his, his impact is I always knew he'd had a significant impact, but I'm just seeing the extent of it. Even if one of the downsides of that is that he's probably one of the most misquoted men on the internet. You find any inspiring quotation, you'll usually find C.S. Lewis's quote a name attached to it somewhere. Even if it's something as obviously wrong as life is like a box of chocolates. C.S. Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. You mentioned lots of the sort of denominations that clearly love Lewis. But I think it's really interesting that you are a Brit in America because there's also a kind of global love of Lewis as well, isn't there? Particularly mm. in the West where, you know, he was obviously British. He never went to America, but he is was even then and is now still huge in America, isn't he? Yes, exactly. And he is a, a very surprising, uh, <laughs> a surprising influence on many Americans, particularly given he did these things like smoking and drinking. And then mm. and there are various quotations from Christian leaders saying, oh, I know he smokes, I know he drinks, but I'm pretty sure that man's a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> well, this may be like asking you to choose between your favourite children, but do you think you have a favourite quotation, a favourite book, a favourite idea of Lewis? And why has that become your favourite? Or do you think it's too difficult to choose? It is very difficult. On the podcast, we always argue about which we think is Lewis's best book. I think it's The Great <laughs> Divorce. And uh, Andrew, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he says, I, I agree with Lewis that uh, Till We Have Faces is far and away my best book. So we have constant arguments uh, about that uh, on the on the show. And I love The Great Divorce just because I think it's Lewis's most complete book and most accessible book. You see so many of his ideas make their appearance uh, particularly as to how love can go wrong when it is untempered by charity, as well as uh, the relationship between uh, uh, choice and eternity. Um, it, in, in The Great Divorce, there, there are so many wonderful quotations when uh, George MacDonald, who is Lewis's guide through the afterlife, he says that there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And he says, all that are in hell, choose it. And without that self-choice, there could be no hell. But he then goes on to say that no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. So I, honestly, I could quote the entirety of The Great Divorce. But so as to not sto to stoke up any more animosity on our podcast, I'm actually going to choose a different <laughs> one. It's actually a quotation oh. that we uh, receive through Lewis's secretary, Walter Hooper. And in one of the forwards of a book, uh, he recounts a time when Lewis said to him, you can never get a cup of tea large enough or a book long enough to suit me. And uh, I, we don't quite have a, an official quotation for uh, C.S. Lewis Reading Day, but I think if you could sum it up, it might be in that quotation. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. 
and do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.